Our topic this week is from Zechariah, chapter 13, The Fountain. Now, last week we looked at chapter 12, and of course when the Bible was originally written, there was no chapter divisions, and so uh, we don't exactly know where it's supposed, one's supposed to end and the other one's supposed to begin. So we're going to take the last two verses, or last two slides anyway, from chapter 12, and we're going to look at them again, because I believe they kind of flow here into chapter 13 um, very well. We ended in chapter 12, verse 10, saying, And I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And so God pours his spirit upon us, and it causes us to look and see Yeshua. Causes that spirit of grace to come upon us, which leads us in supplication, leads us in prayer, leads us to ask the Lord for mercy and grace upon us. And it draws us close to him and it opens our eyes. As God pours out his spirit upon us, it gives us the ability to see, it takes away the blinders, it takes away the, the fogginess, we no longer seeing through a glass darkly, but we see him clearer and clearer. And as we draw closer to him, we see things in the reality and we see how we are the ones who pierced him. We will look upon him whom we have pierced. Not just someone 2,000 years ago, not a Caiaphas and Pilate, not Roman soldiers or Sanhedrin, but that it was me who pierced him. It was me who caused his death. It was my sins that put him there. And that will cause us to mourn. And mourn as if we're mourning for an only child. And I've talked with people who've lost loved ones. It seems that the loss of a child seems greater than any other loss. Harder to grieve than any other loss. And I think our society even demonstrates that. Right? What do we call uh, a man whose wife dies? What do we call him? Widow. Widower. What do we call a woman whose husband dies? A widow. What do we call a child whose parents die? Orphan. What do we call a parent whose child dies? Yeah, we, we don't have a word for that. It's so horrible. It's so unthinkable. It's so unnatural that we don't even give a name to it. We won't even identify it. We won't even talk about it. We won't even have a, a recognition of it in our dictionary. And thus the grief is painful and hard. It's so, again, unnatural for someone younger to be buried by someone older. And so we will grieve as we come closer to Yeshua. We will grieve for him, not necessarily as our only son, but as God's only son, whom we have killed, whom we have pierced. And I guess, again, if you can imagine, try not to 
grieving for the death of your son. But if you killed your own son, accidentally even backing out the car or something, how much more type of grief we would have. It was our fault that the child died. And it's our fault that Yeshua died. And as God's Spirit is poured out upon us, we grieve that more and more. We sense it more and more. We see it more and more. The closer we come to the Lord, the more we see our need for Him, the more our need for supplication, the more our need for a spirit of grace to come upon us and to help us in our time of need. When we're staring pretty far away from a mirror, when we're across the room from a mirror, well, we look pretty good. You get a few, a little bit closer, you see the clothing is not straight, you get a little closer, hair is out of place, get a little closer, might notice some lint on the, on the shirt, get a little closer and see there's a nose hair growing out or something. You know, the closer you get, the more details you can see. You get an eyelash stuck in your eye, you got to get real close so you can see. And the closer we come to Yeshua, the more we see the problems in us. Not the closer we get to the Lord, the better we think we are. Just the opposite. The closer we come to the Lord, the more wretched we realize we really are. The more defects we see because we're comparing ourselves not with ourselves, not with our past, not with other people, but we're comparing ourselves with him, and he's perfect. And the closer we come to him, the more we see of his perfection, the more imperfections we see in ourselves. And the closer we see his wounds, the more we see of his pain, and the more it draws us out after him, and the more it causes us to mourn for the death of that only begotten son and cause us to grieve. Still in chapter 12, verse 11, it said, And in that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn, every family by itself, and the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, and so on. That individually we need to be coming to the Lord. Individually, day by day, we need to be coming to the Lord. Our spouse can't point out our sins. I mean, they can try. You know, they can they can nag us, they can point them out, they can tell us all about it, but that won't lead us to repentance. It's the spirit of grace that comes upon us. Our spouse can make excuses for us. Our parents can make excuses for us. But it's we who have to individually confess our sins before the Lord to be forgiven. And so those two verses, or those two slides of verses, leads us then to chapter 13, verse 1, which tells us what happens when this spirit of grace comes upon us and leads us in supplication, leads us in grieving our piercing the Messiah, leads us to mourn for our sins. Verse 13, verse 1, And in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Not just any fountain, 
Not just a fountain springing up to nourish us and to feed us and to empower us and to help us. Oh, there are springs like that mentioned in the Bible. Swelling up spring, coming forth and sharing forth and overflowing. God pouring his spirit upon us in generosity and overflowing in abundance that he will give to us. But this fountain is a fountain that came from the side of Yeshua. This is a fountain that cleanses from sin. This is a fountain that removes our filthy garments. That removes the dirt off us. As we come closer and closer to that mirror and we see the dirt on our face, it's not the mirror that can heal us. It's not the mirror that can cleanse us. But it leads us to the fountain of water. It leads us to the faucet. Leads us to the water and the soap that cleanses us. As we draw closer to the Lord and see his perfection lived out, his perfection in demonstration of righteous living in obeying God's laws, we see where we fall short and where we have sinned and where we have rebelled and where we have disobeyed. And that law then stands in contrast to us. But the law convicts us, but it cannot forgive us. The law can point out our sins, and that's its job. But it cannot remove the sins. It cannot excuse the sins. If it could excuse it, it's not the law. The law is unchangeable. The law is stone. The law is right. It's always right. Thus it can't change. And thus it can't remove the sin. It can't remove the guilt. But the law should bring conviction which sends us to the Messiah. Which causes us to grieve and mourn as we see that it was the law that pierced him. Our breaking of the law that pierced him. If the law could be done away with, if God could just say, well, we don't need the law anymore, then Yeshua would not have had to be pierced. He would not have had to die. But the fact that he did die establishes the law and shows that the law cannot be changed. The penalty has to be paid. And thus the law remains. But God provided a way. Not in changing the law, God provided a way by paying the price for the disobedience to the law. By pouring out his blood for us. The water and the blood pouring out of him. That fountain that cleanses from sin. That washes us clean. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness righteousness. The sanctuary was cleansed on a yearly basis on Yom Kippur. Not with bleach, not with soap and water, but with blood. Generally, you don't think of blood as a cleanser, but in God's economy, it is the blood that cleanses. That is the fountain that cleanses from sin and removes our guilt, and removes our shame. And that has been poured out 
for us. When Yeshua poured out his heart for us. And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they shall no longer be remembered. And I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. And it shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his mother, father and his mother shall say to him, you are a, shall not live because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother shall thrust him through when he prophesies. I mean, he's talking about false prophecies. Talking about with idols and unclean spirits. They need to be removed out of the land. The idols need to be removed out of our hearts and minds. The idols that we have, the things that we put before us in God. The mammon, the money, the things, the stuff, the time, people, ourselves. We need to surrender them to the Lord. And the lies, the unclean spirits, the filthiness, the worldliness, the horrible motives, the evil inclinations and evil desires, lustful thoughts and prideful actions need to be removed. And the listening to the false prophecies, the lies. I will get better. I will do better. I will do better next time. I will obey. I will do. Whatever you say, I will do. As we said, when God gave the law, within six weeks we're building a golden calf. The lies that are told to us, the prosperity gospel, the false theories, the false theology, the easy way out, no harm, no suffering will come to you. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Just the opposite. Expect trials, expect tribulations, expect troubles. But God will walk with us and see us through them. God will remove from our ears. And we will not listen to them anymore. We will reject the prophets of doom and the prophets of false hopes. In that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, and they will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. And then verse 5, And he will say, I am, a no, I am no mere prophet. A servant of mankind am I, because a man dedicated to this I have been from my youth. So in contrast to the false prophets that will be removed from our hearts and minds and lives, in contrast to the idols and the evil spirits, one will come who's not just a prophet, not a mere prophet, but more than a prophet, a servant, and a servant from his youth. Yeshua came in the flesh, came as a prophet, but more than a prophet came as a servant, serving, washing his disciples' feet. From his youth, he heard his calling. When his parents brought him to the temple in the year of his bar mitzvah, probably a pilgrim feast, coming to the temple, and sitting there with the rabbis and speaking with them, 
At the end of the feast, the parents went back with everybody in the big crowd and all the families together. And at first they didn't notice Yeshua was not with them. Must be with the cousins, must be with the brother-in-law, must be with somebody else. And they're traveling along. Eventually realize, maybe at night time, <laughs> time to tuck him in, where is he? And so they make the track back and one day out, another day back. Third day they find him, sitting in the temple. They said, where have you been? We've been worried. Did you not know I would be about my father's business? Not a mere prophet, a servant from his youth. Verse 6, and one will say to him, what are these wounds in your hands? And he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. What are these wounds in your hands? Now, there's not many ways that you can get wounds in your hands. You can get a wound on your hand, right? You can be sawing away and cut one of your hands with the other hand. You can have a hammer and smack the one hand with the other hand. But to have wounds in both the hands, it's kind of unique. Certainly very unusual to die by having wounds in your hands. But a fountain will flow. A fountain for sin and uncleanness. in one who's more than a mere prophet, who lived as a youth, his calling, and who's wounded in his hands. And not just wounded in battle, not just wounded in war, but wounded in the house of his friends. Not among enemies, But Yeshua was wounded in his hands. In the house of his friends. Among his disciples. By one of his disciples. In Jerusalem. God's beloved city that he himself ordained and prophesied and watched over in the land of Israel. The very place where he himself wrestled with Jacob and named the man Israel and named the land Israel. These are the wounds that I received in the house of my friends. And not just among the disciples, not just among those of Judah and Israel, but you and I put those wounds in his hands. These are the wounds I received in the house of my friends.
And for all eternity, he will keep those wounds in his hands. After his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, he came and met with the disciples in the upper room while they were gathered and fearful that would happen to them next. Unbelieving, giving up hope that Yeshua was the Messiah. He appeared to them and sat with them and talked with them. But one was missing, Thomas. He was out on an errand or somewhere, went fishing, who knows? He went for a walk, you know, I don't know. He wasn't there. Went for a ride, saw a movie, something. He wasn't there. And he comes back, and they were all telling him, every single one, ten of the disciples. And yet he doesn't believe them. As if ten of them would lie. And the others that are there, the Marys and the other ladies are there, and they're telling him. And he still refuses to believe. Not so much because he can't believe them, not because he thinks they're lying, but maybe more because he's disappointed. Why didn't he wait till I came back? Why did he come at a time when I wasn't here? How can he do this to me? Didn't he want to see me? And thus he refused in denial. I think that Yeshua would appear and not appear when he was there. As I will not believe unless I can put my own finger in his hands. As I can put my own finger in his side. A week later, Yeshua appears to them again. Thomas is there this time. No doubt embarrassed. As Yeshua said, Thomas, put your hand, put your finger in the holes in my hands. Take your finger and lift up his shirt and put it in the hole in my side. He will bear those holes for all eternity. Every time Yeshua does something and sees his hand and goes to lift something or move something or handle something, he is re-reminded that he has engraved you into the palms of his hands. So he can never forget you. He can never forget the great love that he poured out for you. And it will be a reminder to us for all eternity of the great sacrifice that he did for us. So that we never forget. So that sin will not be able to raise its head a second time. That we will constantly be reminded how we crucified him. And we would not desire to crucify him afresh and go through that all again. For all eternity. And I imagine on Resurrection Day, when the Lord will return from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Messiah will be raised first. The dead from Abel down to, and we which are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air.
And as we meet the Lord in the air and he's there with outstretched arms, ready to embrace us and to welcome us and to take us to the mansions he's preparing for us. With his outstretched arms, there will be some. Maybe like Seth. I mean, or like Abel. And Seth. And Noah. And Methuselah. Who will say, why are there holes in your hands? And they'll say, these I received in the house of my friends. And I'd imagine like the picture here, there might be some young children. Some children who died before being born. Some children who died before they were in age to understand the gospel who'll be in heaven somehow or another. I don't know how God is going to work the judgment for those types. Whether it's based on their parents' prayers or their grandparents' prayers or, or what they would have been if they lived longer. I don't know how he's going to sort that out. And no doubt there's people in areas of this world who haven't heard the gospel audibly, but the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them and they yielded to God, not knowing him, an unknown God, but sensed his spirit, realized there's got to be something greater than this world, there's something got to be greater than me, there's something that causes my, my finger to heal when I cut it, something that put those stars in space and keeps this world circling around, that's caused the amazing, intricate way that everything works together, the symbiotic relationships on earth, how there's male and female in every kind. The amazing symmetry in a body of all kinds. From centipedes to human beings. Amazing symmetry. Can't just happen. Can't just bang. And there is. Can't just take time. And someone out in the jungle somewhere realizes that. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And he worships the God who created all things. And he, with these little children, see the Lord with his outstretched arms, ready to receive us as we meet him in the clouds. And they draw close. And they say, where did you get those holes in your hand? You are the Lord God, the creator of all things, all perfect. Why do you have these marred holes in your hands? And he will say, these are what I received in the house of my friends. This is how we have treated him. We will look upon the one whom we have pierced and out of those wounded hands pours forth a fountain that cleanses from sin from that wounded side whom we have pierced comes forth a cleansing stream 
that washes away our guilt. And out of the hands, out of the book of Habakkuk, it says in chapter 3, verse 4, he had rays flashing from his hands. And there his power was hidden. Rays of light. Rays of cleansing stream. Fountain flowing out of his hands. And that's where the power is. That's where the victory is. That's where we're lifted up. That's where we're strengthened. That's where we're encouraged. Humbling ourselves before the Lord. And bowing down and mourning the one whom we have killed, the only begotten Son. And as we do that, as we lower ourselves in humility before him, as we confess our sin, as we draw closer to him and we see our defects and we confess them, and we receive the forgiveness because of the wounds in his hands, there's power in that transformation that takes place. There's a lifting of the guilt that takes place. There's a removal of the heaviness that's been upon us. The weight we've been carrying has been removed and taken and placed upon him. And we're freed and we're liberated. And there's power in that liberation. And we can go forth leaping and jumping and praising God. If you're out working in the yard and mowing the grass and trimming the bushes and pulling the weeds, you're working up a sweat here in Florida. And now you're just sweating. Your shirt begins sticking to your body and your socks are sticking to your body. Everything is just, just drenched. Finally, you get inside and you start pulling it off. It's hard to get it off. You pull it off. Jump in the shower. Wash away the sweat. Wash away the grime. Feel so good. Feel so good. You feel so invigorated. Feel so empowered. I can go and do something else. So we come to his precious bleeding side. So we come and are embraced by his arms, embraced by the wounds in his hands, as rays of power that come out and give us hope, give us courage, give us faith, give us strength, give us the ability to overcome as he overcame. I can go forth and face the devil and face temptation and resist temptation in the power of the Lord God Almighty and go from victory to victory and come forth as white as snow by his grace and by his power. So we'll pause the chapter there and we'll pick up with the rest of the chapter on Yom Kippur. But before we pray, if you've been drawing close to God and more and more realization of your sins and your weaknesses and your frailties and your mistakes are coming before your mind, as you're looking upon Yeshua, as you're seeing him in his beauty and in his glory and his perfection and his love, a deeper realization how we have pierced him. And we, his friends, have put the wounds in his hands. And we shoved the spear into his side. And we caused his suffering. In a moment when we pray, we can release that to the Lord and receive forgiveness.
Secondly, if you're needing the cleansing stream, you want to claim his power, you want to claim his forgiveness, you want to claim his sacrifice in your behalf for the removal of those sins and to be cleansed of all the unrighteousness, the whole record washed clean. Sins blotted out in the presence of the Lord. The sins gone before us to judgment and removed once and for all, completely and forever. And claim that forgiveness because the sacrifice has already been made in your behalf. The fountain is already springing forth. The fountain is already poured out. Claim his forgiveness. Claim his grace. If you're needing the rays of power to come into your heart and mind, to make you victorious, to give you victory over some area in your life, some area that you've struggled with, some habit, some evil deed, evil inclination, evil desire, you want to surrender it to the Lord and be victorious. Then, a moment when we pray, grab a hold of that wounded hand. Embrace those wounded, wounded hands and claim the power and strength that comes forth from his hands to empower you, to lead you in the way everlasting. And may he send us forth in warning this world and getting the message out there. If any of those areas apply to you, or maybe some other area that God's been speaking to your heart and mind about, let us draw near to him and behold him in his glory and grace. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you, Lord, for your love. We're thankful for being willing to be pierced for us. Thank you for being willing to come here to this earth, to be rejected, to be despised. We're thankful that you came as man, but are more than a man and more than a mere prophet. Thank you that you are the Lord God Almighty. We want to confess our wounding of you Lord, thank you for removing our sins, lifting our guilt, and loving us in spite of ourselves. Thank you for pouring forth your spirit of grace, filling us with your power, filling us with your strength. Make us more than a match for the devil. Cover us in your armor. Cover us in your robe of righteousness. And live your life in us and out of us. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.